0: Keynesian economists does it take to fix the economy and inflation? Let me repeat that. How many Keynesian economists does it take to fix this problem they've created? Apparently an awful lot. Now, not only do you have the Fed doing it, but now you got the Treasury throwing their their, their, They want to get involved. And the Fed is tightening, yet real rates are dropping. What does that mean? Now, as the Fed actually lying and they're about to uh, say, uncle, are they about to, to, to reverse direction? They, we, we'll talk about some of the, the changes in their terminology, their wording in their FOMC minutes, because they got a little bit more dovish. And maybe that's one reason you're seeing the markets pop today. We'll talk about that. Yesterday, the market was down. Today, it's up. I mean, it's just a roller coaster up and down and it's wearing investors out. And we're going to talk about that. And then also, is conviction killing your portfolio? I've got a great article. It's posted in the show notes. Everybody should go and read that article. It's a very, very good article. And then, um, will the debt ceiling be a factor uh, in pricing? Did you miss the boats on I-bonds dropping? There's an, I'm not going to go over that. They're kind of a little more complicated than people think, I-bonds. You can read that article. If you've got any questions, you can call me. And IRS rules for grant retained annuity trust, that's way too complicated for the show. Call me if you've got an estate problem and you need some estate planning. And lastly, there's two new Tesla ETFs, or they're, they're trying to get approval, one double long and one double short, so that you can actually play the volatility in Tesla. Anyway, let's get right to it. What I'm going to do a little bit different today, I'm going to kind of break up the mailbag because I got one topic that was perfect for the in, for the show the the original beginning topic of the show and then i've got a couple mailboxes that are specifically for team revere we're going to talk about a couple moves we made in the portfolio this past week and some specific individual stocks so i want to i want to kind of break that up but i'm going to start so look we've been talking about the banking especially the regional banking and we've been talking about the problems with the banking system for the last couple of months, I know that I've, I, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse to death, folks, but this is really important because that could be the kind of the black swan flying around that could get worse. And that's that's what you got to got to be worried about. Now, the the. Uh, so I got this Twitter message. Uh, we'll just call her in. She's actually a very sharp young lady, uh, single mom raising a kid, but she's very into uh, learning. And she sends me these tweet because she wants to talk about this stuff. And she said, "Can you help me understand the buyback program? What a buyback program would do? Would do?" I'm also including a Wall Street Journal article that's in the show notes if you got a subscription, and a link to the Treasury itself. The Treasury. Uh, gov website. I've linked that article. It's a great one. He said, "This is this is new. The U.S. Treasury, not the Fed. The Treasury is 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 uh, designing a, a buyback program, and it's going to execute purchases beginning next year. Now that's kind of a test program, just to make sure it's working. Now, um, I said I will absolutely cover on the show. Bottom line, this would mean the Fed actually the Treasury." would be injecting liquidity in the money uh, via the money supply injecting liquidity and banks would have more cash to lend when supply goes up prices come down in this case interest rates and therefore easing it would be accommodative i said there's th-, and when she first sent me this i thought i hadn't opened the articles yet i thought she was talking about the fed because the treasury never gets involved the treasury is the checkbook of the united states it's where they just pay the the money the bill they bring in money and then they pay money the Fed is responsible for monetary policy, the money supply itself. So the Fed just write checks and collects money from the IRS. So anyway, so I, at first I was talk, thought she was talking about the Fed. I said there's three main ways the Fed manipulates interest rates, the discount rate and Fed funds rate by proclamation. That's what you saw yesterday. I'm going to raise rates a quarter point. The reserve requirements by banks, they require the bank to have $4 for every $100 on deposits. So that's a 4% reserve requirement. It may not be 4 right now. I'm just using that as a, I don't know what the actual percentage is right now. You can Google it. Uh, And the money supply, aka the free or excess reserves, tightening or loosening money behind the scenes. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about are they easing, are they buying bonds from the bond traders in New York, or are they selling bonds to the bond traders in New York? Folks, there's a couple big bond traders in New York at the big, big member banks. They've got to deal with the Fed. They get to make a little VIG on the interest rate, a little, a little, just a little teeny teeny spread. But when you're talking about hundreds of billions of, do- billions of dollars or even hundreds of billions of dollars, you're talking about a little bit of change. You're talking about some money. Now, now, when the Fed actually, I'm talking about the Fed now, not the Treasury, when the Fed goes and says, hey, we want to inject liquidity in the system, we call the traders up and we say, we're going to buy your bonds from you. Give us your Treasury bonds that we sold to you earlier. Here's our money. They give them money. They, the Fed takes the bonds back. Now these, these traders and in in these big member banks are flush with capital with millions and hundreds of millions, billions of dollars in the banks, and now the bank has their free reserves full up. They've got excess reserves they don't need to go lend out. And so rates drop. The supply of money went way up. So when you have a lot of supply, prices come down. Prices are the interest rate. Think of it that way. It'll make it easy. Conversely, when they want to tighten, the Fed knocks on those guys' door. Hey, trader, I'm, I'm going I'm to um, sell you the bonds back. So the traders take money, give it to the Fed. It takes money out of the banking system. The Fed gives them their bonds, and now the banks are tighter. They have less reserves. Money is tighter. Interest rates go up. That's what they're talking about when they say loosening or tightening the money supply. That's exactly it. But in this case, We're talking about the Fed. Now, this is a very, very heady uh, article or or actually research paper by the Fed, and they're talking about why they're doing it and the reasons they're going to do this. And there are some legitimate reasons. So the, the Treasury, the checkbook, they bring in lots of money during tax season, you know, February, March, April, when everybody's paying. So they're flush with cash. But then later in the year, they've got all these payments, but not a lot of revenue coming in. So their cash flow is uneven. Well, their bond portfolios can get that way too. You can have big bond issues in different months coming due, or the interest payments, and so the cash flow is very uneven. And so it makes it harder to manage your cash flow. And so what they'll do is, so on the run. T-bills on the run or even treasury securities, on the run security, treasury securities, means they're issued this quarter. Anything the past three months are considered on the run, meaning just fresh issued, right? Okay? Once they're off the run, four months or older, they're older than one quarter, then they're a little bit less liquid. Now, remember, treasuries are the most liquid market in the world. So when I'm saying illiquid, I'm not talking about a penny stock. You can still sell them very easily with not much price impact. but when you've got treasury on the run securities that are super liquid, okay, and then you've got uh, securities that are off the run that aren't a little bit less liquid, that's an illiquidity premium. so they're not as actively trading. the spread's a little bit wider, so the yield's a little bit uh, a little bit higher. So the Fed can issue a new treasury the treasury actually can issue this new treasury, retire, pull off this old one. And now they've actually made a little bit of money, a little profit on that spread. So they're reducing the cost to the taxpayers. So they can do it that way. And then they can also exchange for different months and trade the bonds out to smooth out when these maturities come due. That's the excuse. That's the reason they're giving that they want to do this. Now, here's the problem. They can also do uh, quantitative easing. They can actually buy bonds, not roll them to somebody. And, and now you're talking about stimulus. So are, is, the, is the Treasury, you're giving the Treasury the ability to affect monetary policy. doesn't mean they will, but if they want to be political, they could be. And remember, Janet Yellen was a former Fed, uh, the Fed chair, so she knows how to do it. She's well-versed at all these mechanics. So could the Fed and Treasury start being at odds? In other words, if they think the Treasury or the Fed is being too tight, too tough, are they, are they going to kind of take matters in their own hands? And so now you're getting conflicting mixing, mixed signals. It's very interesting. It's, it's a good article to read. It's curious, though, the last time they did this, the Treasury, was March of 2000 through April of 2002. What was going on then? Oh, that's right. It was a tech wreck. We were in a huge bear market. So they their excuse was quote during a period of budget surplus they were trying to uh, d- 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 lower the interest cost and retire some debt or whatever. Really, uh, they were stimulating. They were trying to get the wheels going. Folks, here is the problem, and we've talked about this at nauseum that the that the that the with short-term rates very high if my savings and loan or my bank isn't going to pay me five percent when i can get five or four and a half when i can get that in short-term t-bills that's what people are doing people are going to short-term t-bills you're forcing these banks to pay a higher rate their short-term their depositors their short-term interest rates are their liability that's who they pay and then they buy longer bonds normally at higher interest rates to pay the shorter-term, lower interest rates. Right now, that's reversed. So they got to pay their depositors more than they're taking in on their bond portfolio, and their bond portfolio is also down in value. So it's hitting their balance sheet, and it's hitting their income statement. And this is not over. And with the Fed tightening, with the Fed tightening, it makes it that much worse. So the Fed did say they're going to kind of raise this time. And then they're going to kind of look at the data. It's going to be data driven. And they even took out with the bias toward raising a quarter point again in July or whatever the last time, the last month, they said they were going to raise rates a quarter point And with the probability of continuing in the future, they've kind of taken the continuing in the future verbiage out of it. They've softened their stance. So they, and you may be, and that's maybe why the market's rallying very nicely today. But make no mistake, we are not out of the woods yet, and the banking crisis is not over. Now, if they can alleviate the fears, you could really get some nice, solid, strong rallies in some sectors. I would just stay away from the regional banking. Commercial real estate going to be in trouble. There's a lot of people that have to, commercial real estates have to roll over their debt, and they don't have the, they don't have the wherewithal to do it. They, 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 they did the debt at 5% and now they got to roll it over at 14% or twi- they can't afford it. They're turning in their keys. So plus the demand for commercial real estate is actually going down significantly. Whether it's work people working from home, a slowing economy, tech layoffs, it's just it's a perfect storm and so there are certain areas you absolutely want to avoid. But the biggest thing about this is what are the f- treasury's intentions? And why are they doing this 22 years later? Out of the blue, it's curious that we're in a a bear market when they decide they want to do this, just like it was in 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 the tech wreck in two thousand. Anyway, that's going to be interesting. Um, we'll have to see what what goes on there. And remember, uh, price is truth. Okay, I'm going to go to the second article, and this is really important. And I hope all of you go and read this. the The title of this article is "Conviction," and in the parentheses, or how to lose a lot of money in investing, okay? So it says, when investing, when investing, absolute conviction leads to lost opportunity and lost capital. So it's basically saying, if you get too tied up in your convictions, you're you're gonna fight it. So it says, here are some of the convictions you hear. Here's a short list. The dollar is a fiat currency going to zero. The dollar will lose its reserve currency status. Too much debt, the US will eventually default. Recession or depression is coming uh, because fill in the blank. Worldwide shortage of food and oil. Interest rates can only go higher. I don't know if I buy that. Um, Government is going to confiscate everything. Uh, Society is on the edge of collapse. Add your personal conviction here. So all of those things. Now, here's the problem with that, okay? Convictions can take longer to fruition to come true than you have to live. So look, Japan's been monetizing their debt since 1991. 1991. They should have hit a brick wall a long time ago, as long as everybody believes that it, it's a confidence game. They're now finally really starting to feel some pain. They're the only ones not raising rates while all the central banks are still raising rates and they're still at negative or zero while these other central banks are going negative or going positive. That, it's going to be tough for them. And anyway, uh, it, they were talking about the financial crisis. If you never got back in after 2008, uh, in 2009, the stocks did very well, just like in COVID 2020, did you get back in after the COVID bear market that only lasted for a month and a half, which is really unusual. Really? It's because the fed said they're going to spend uh, $3 trillion of funny money and buy everything. That was a very usual, unusual bear market. But if you got married to your convictions, you never got ba- back in. I've talked to lots of people that never got back in. So what's the moral of the story? The hard part about becoming a better investor is to lose your conviction. Four things and investment rules to follow. This is classic. Uh, And basically, you want to get rid of your confirmation bias and your informational silos, meaning you tend to gravitate toward people you agree with. Listen, I try to read as much Keynesian BS economic stuff as I can just to know how the other side thinks. I'm an Austrian economist. I believe you need a stable money supply. That's a different topic. Whole point is, I want to read what other people, if I'm feeling bullish, I want to re- hear the bear argument. If I'm feeling bearish, I want to hear the bull argument. I want to see both sides of it. I've got to keep my mind supple enough to know uh, that I absolutely could be wrong. Four things to become a better long-term investor. Turn off the mainstream media. Do your homework. Understand that what you believe and reality can be two very different things diversify oh don's gonna love this one all right don hold on diversification is lazy portfolio management i think don just well but most importantly remember we only have a finite period to invest and save retirement so the duration of our conviction such as the death of the dollar can be longer than our investment time horizon don't go broke, waiting for the end of the world to to arrive. Folks, listen, at some point, the dollar will stop becoming the world's reserve currency. That's an absolute historical given. It's happened every time. But it ain't happening soon. Right now, we are the strongest economy in the world. We still have our military, which is one reason our dollar is strong. That's why we're not a banana republic. And look at the other players. Who else is going to knock us off? I know I hear, hear the brick arguments all the time. They are not ready for, for structural reasons to be prime time just yet. They're trying. We ain't there yet. All right. So here are some investment rules that you will find with some of the common uh, that are in common with the greatest investors in history. Cut losers and let the winners run investing without specific end goals is a big mistake. What they mean there is when you buy something, you damn sure better have a sell target, meaning if it goes up to a certain point. Now, if it does ride up and it starts growing into those, whether it's earnings or whatever, and it looks better, you can always adjust that. Sell point higher, but you also want to have a sell point below in case it turns around and doesn't work out like you thought it was. You've got to stop somewhere at five or six percent, you know, whatever that is, based on that individual stock's volatility and average true range. In fact, every stock should have a specific percentage below its price stop. In other words, doing a five percent across the board for every stock. That's rookie. That's retail investing. That is not professional management. Okay, so uh, emotional and cognitive bias are not part of the process. Follow the trend. Don't turn a profit into a loss. Odds of success improve greatly when technical analysis supports fundamental analysis. Try to avoid adding to losing positions, a.k.a. do not average down. If, and there's been lots of stuff. Look, folks, if you've got a guy, an advisor that's telling you, oh, it's down 10% now, we really like it. Uh, the question should be, why didn't we sell it at 5% or 6% when it was obviously not working? Don't add to it, okay? In bull markets, you should be long. In bear markets, you should be neutral and short. Okay, right? Um, invest first with risk in mind, not returns. Here at Revere, we manage risk first and the returns take care of themselves. And the goal of portfolio management, and I don't quite agree with this, is a 70% success rate. It depends on your strategy. You could even have a 50-50 success rate as long as you let your winners run and you have tight stops. So your losses are all double digit, but then you've got some good uh, returns. So I don't quite agree with the last one. In any event, uh, it says it isn't being wrong that's biggest risk to your money. It is staying wrong. Don, I think. I think they've been listening to Geez,
1: did I ghostwrite that? Who wrote that? I was about to say, I think
0: they've been listening. I was just about to say, I think they've been listening to our podcast and they've just been like plagiarizing. and they used AI chat GPT to, to just have them, you know, what do you call it? Uh, Would you talk to the, it, it types for you?
1: Where, where was that article and who was the author?
0: Uh, this is, I'm gonna have to go find it. Um, it, it. Cause I don't have my computer in front of me. I'll, I'll send it to you, but it's, it's a good article. I think it was, um, um, in, um, think advice, one of the advisory, uh, one of the advisory, uh, uh, periodicals, but I'll, it's in the show notes. So you can look, in fact, you can look in your email and you can look at see exactly where it's from. All right.
1: Well, that's so, pretty, that's pretty rare that that would be in one of the advisory. I, it, uh, tell me about
0: it. I couldn't believe no, that. I'll go back and look. I'll go back and look. Cause I, I, it may not have been, you're right. Cause normally they're always trying to hawk annuities and what, well, you know, the big push now, Don, because annuities are, are kind of, and, and now they've got, they finally realize they've got to embrace these commission-free, uh, no-load annuities that are built especially for advisors. So now they're starting to do articles that there is a place for fee-only management for annuities because they know that, 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 that now that you've got, folks, listen, at, if we're not big annuity uh, fans, believe me, but if you are ever pitched an annuity, If there's a commission and a surrender penalty schedule, run. You can do the same damn or very similar annuity that's no load, no no commission. You can put the money in one day and take it out the next. So when you're getting a a commissioned uh, surrender penalty annuity, it's about the agent, the broker's retirement, not yours. Okay? Did I say that out loud? Yes, I did. All right. Let's get right to the market. So those are some very good good um, um, uh, things to think about. Now I want to go to, um, this is a broader one, Don. So this is going to be a broader one for you guys to kind of set the table of the whole market, uh, like the long-term, short-term, you know, how you look at the indices. And then I've got two specific questions for you regarding moves and stuff we did at Revere. Okay? So I'm going to give you the broader context first. You can kind of go over that in the markets. You can kind of do your review, what you think the market's going to do. And then I'll give you those specific, uh, other two. Is that all right? Or do you want me to give it to you all three at once? You tell me. I don't care. Okay. All right. So this says, Hey, Danny thought this is from RM. Hey, Danny, any thoughts on the debt ceiling? Think they'll default. And in parentheses, you mean will default, um, and I said, "This is me." I said, "Cake and circus for the masses. Uh, they may miss the deadline, but they can shuffle things around for a, a couple of months before a technical default." Question, though, how would you play it if you thought they were going to default? Gold, real estate, or you know, stocks. Uh, you, at that point, you don't want treasury bonds, right? All right. I think the answer is a combo of gold, stocks, uh, and possibly even shorts, but not positive. Now, I added the shorts in there. At first, I said gold and stocks, but I said you'll see it in the price, okay? Now, uh, uh, I said gold has actually been acting well right now due to all this. Uh, when they come to, a, to an agreement, does that mean gold rolls back over or is it continues higher because of all the proposed new spending? Again, the hint, follow the charts. All right, so he, RM, said back, that's a great question. Curious to see how you guys navigate it. Full disclosure, he's also a client. Uh, me, by closely monitoring price and buying and selling volumes of bonds, gold, real estate stocks, bonds, et cetera, insiders will know when and how the deal will get done. So that's kind of the overall picture. And then, Don, I will just go ahead and give you these other two uh, ones. OK, so this is K. Don. Well, let's
1: let's, okay. let's 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 address that one first. OK, OK so as far as how will things respond if we think there might be a default the last time there was a serious default was uh discussion was back in july of 2011. this is a chart of the s p 500 working backwards from the end of december 2011 back to uh here's the july area when it really started getting uh concerning and you can see the market sold off pretty hard from 1350 all the way down. Uh, to 1100 So uh, following the three timeframes that we address, first it broke the 21-day, then it broke the 50-day, then it broke the 200-day. Once you break the 200-day on a weekly basis, you never really know uh, how low you're going to go. Uh, or what's gonna happen below there. But once we're under the 200-day, notice we bounced right at the 200-day back in June. There were some discussions about it back in June of 2011. And then things started getting serious. We'll just simply get out of the way uh, if we're under the 200-day moving average, which is pretty much uh, what we do consistently. Let's see see what gold was doing uh, at that time. So you can see gold took off to the upside. So the markets are pulling back, uh, gold shot higher, very similar to what you saw this past week, this past two weeks, really, with the issues with regional banks. Let's go to the long-term bond, TLT. You can see it also going to the upside. So we would be reducing, this is was the correlation historically speaking, no guarantee that it's gonna happen, but those are typically two safe havens when the market is not working, and it's beca- when the market's not working because there's fears of some sort of a fiscal cliff or overhang. So you can see very clearly that the long bond uh, and gold outperformed in July to August, while the S&P 500 was selling off uh, pretty substantially and broke the 200-day moving average. So my expectation would be that our play would be the exact uh, the exact same way go back to uh, current day uh, and gold and gold stocks acted pretty well this week while uh, we were having issues with uh, regional banks. The KRE is the regional bank index we've been talking about. So the fear started back here at the beginning of March. It accelerated this past week uh, and gold at the beginning of March started to take off to the upside and then uh, accelerated again this week. Things are kind of calming in the markets today uh, and gold's down in in sympathy uh, with that, but one zigs when the other zags and uh, that's a a pretty uh, consistent way to play it. TLT, the other, the long bond back in March, you can see it heading higher uh, while the, the banks were selling off uh, rallied a little bit this week, but not as substantially uh, because we also had the the Fed right in the middle and that impacted uh, interest rates also. But uh, the long bond TLT and gold are the safe trades when the market is undergoing stress because of some sort of uh, external financial stimulus.
0: Yeah, no, no. You know, I was about to bring that up. It's kind of strange that the TLT, you're saying the TLT actually held up fairly well. During that time,
1: well, well, yeah, because people were getting out of the market, and it was a fear trade.
0: Yeah, but people remember, remember, so they were, remember, bidding, they they were p- talking about it. What's so odd? You wouldn't think that because you're talking about the government default. So, if you're going to default, you're defaulting on Treasury bonds. It's still the knee-jerk reaction that people flew into Treasuries. That's what you wouldn't expect. That's what I'm saying. That's counterintuitive for a lot of people.
1: It is good point, Dan. Um, but,
0: I'm a damn uh, genius Don
1: and really what it is it's the short-term ones and, and you saw this a little bit when they started having discussions recently it's ones that would be uh, supposedly due around the time of the debt ceiling that those would be the ones that were at risk of not getting paid I think you, you talked about that last week when the interest rates very quickly got out of sync uh, between was it the one month and the the uh,
0: Three-month, four-month, uh, yeah.
1: Uh, three, Yeah, yeah.
0: And they're still kind so of- The longer
1: ones yeah. were considered, yeah.
0: Well, that's the uh, the second point I was going to make is so you would think that if the, if the quote, our government, our bonds were going to default, just like GE, if GE defaults, the bonds are huh. insolvent, right? You would think the bonds across the board would go down, and Don just showed you, they actually held up really good, uh, well, because it was a flight to quality. then my second yeah. question would, would yeah, be- would you expect different tranches, different maturities to act differently? In other words, if it looks like we're going into default, well, if you got three-month or two-month T-bills or shorter, well, you're pretty good because they can always uh, figure out how to pay the next two or three months. But if you got two years, I mean, once you go longer, those would seem to, be to have the most likelihood of not getting paid back. And that's what's, that's what's kind of unusual that you wouldn't expect. That Don was showing you. But again folks remember. Most of this. It's all cake and circus. And we're the useful idiots. Don't buy it. They're going to settle it. They can't let the country default. Because uh, everybody would be pissed at everybody. Not just the Democrats. Not just the Republicans. We'd get pissed at all of them. Quite frankly it might not be a bad idea. Just to throw out everybody. Both sides. Start, a, start new. Couldn't do worse anyway. Alright. Now. This is the next question, and this is a very good one. I love this question. So this is from Kay. Full disclosure, he's also a client. Don, when you first talked about and then bought NVIDIA, NVDA is a ticker, I took a look at the sector as I like to do so for my education. At the time, using IBD metrics, it appeared uh, AVGO was the stronger of the two stocks. To this point, NVIDIA is the clear winner between the two. How sure, not sure you even considered AVGO, but if you did and could share how you picked NVDA instead, I appreciate it. Thanks, Kay. Hi, Kay. It's the N in CanSlim. That's the new, like they've got something new. It's the N in CanSlim. Their AI chip focus is driving the NVIDIA outperformance. AVGO looks good, too, but the RS line is lagging badly. A few months back, Apple said they are looking to replace some chips that they currently source from AVGO. The stock gap down but recovered. Thanks for reaching out, Don. But basically, Don was explaining why he liked that one better. Don, you got anything to add to that? That was actually a pretty damn good answer.
1: No, that, uh, yeah, NVIDIA um, is, is AI the end I mean very clearly they're the uh, go to for uh, AI chips the high end chips and um, like I said with Apple and AVGO when I saw that gap down uh, you have to understand who your end customer is with these chips and and Apple's always look to do thing, looking to do things better and cheaper and they've discussed several several times that they want to do um, you know more of their own chip sourcing chip development chip financing so um, The charts were good, but um, NVIDIA has the N, definitely has the N going for it right now. Yeah, the clear winner.
0: Okay. Now, uh, got that one. Okay, now we got one last one, and I like this one. Um, uh, Full disclosure, also a client. I have a resident, well, at St. Augustine. um, I have a question about Berkshire. This came and went so fast, I didn't see it. I didn't know when you bought it. What was the theory behind this trade? Uh, Berkshire is surely not something one trades. Hi, uh, P. It was a pairs trade that I described in the video below. Now, Donna, we also included the link so he could watch it. If you would like to see this link in this explanation, just email me, dan at revereasset.com, and I will actually email you this specific link. But anyway, hi, P. It was a pairs trade I described in the video below. Basically, BRKB, baby Berkshire Hathaway, is the largest holding in the XLF Financial index ETF and one of the and one of the few financials with a solid chart. Uh, Berkshire is somewhat mid-cast as a member of the financials. Oh, miscast, excuse me, miscast as a member of the financials index due to their wide holdings. So the baby, Ber- the Berkshires, it owns a bunch of stuff, not just financials. It owns all kinds of stuff, but they throw them in with the financials. Um, and most financials are either insurance or banking exclusively. The trade, we went, so Don said the trade, we went short XLF, the financials ETF, by buying the inverse ETF FAZ, F-A-Z, and long Berkshire. The expectation was that Berkshire would show relative relative strength to XLF and it did. We closed one half of FAZ yesterday with an approximately 8% gain as it became extended, oh, gain as it became extended to the downside and closed Berkshire at negative 1% at the same time because of the uncertainty of Apple's Thursday after-hours earnings. Berkshire has a massive Apple position. It's one of the biggest, it's the biggest holding, I think. Uh, we may revisit the pairs trade and or long Berkshire after Berkshire reports earnings this week. Don, you wanna highlight that a little bit?
1: Sure, Here, here's uh, let's start off with the chart of Berkshire. So it's been outperforming big time, the XLF, since the beginning of March when this whole uh, issue started with the regional banks. So first of all, you've got a healthy chart for the long side, that's Berkshire. And Berkshire really is miscast uh, in the financials, but I don't make up the indexes, The State Street does so uh it's the over 12 percent size in xlf xlf uh the the uh, regional banking fears resurfaced uh tuesday of this week so during the lead up to that tuesday xlf was wedging mean going higher uh, into a declining uh 50-day moving average it failed at the 50-day moving average on monday tuesday it gapped down and then they started talking about uh these regional bank issues again. So we put the trade on XLF uh, using FAZ, which is the three times inverse of what XLF does. So if XLF goes down, FAZ is gonna go up. Uh, We got a good result on it, but it just got too extended to the upside as XLF got extended to the downside and then um, marry that to the BRKB uh which held up relatively well still was down a percent but we did have that risk at after the close yesterday with apple's earnings so apple's earnings ended up being fine berkshire is up a percent today xlf is up two percent uh as all the banks are ha- doing a big uh oversold bounce uh off of you can see here's they really started bouncing uh, yesterday afternoon, XLF. It, when things just get too oversold, uh, you know they're going to slingshot back, and if you're on the short side, you got to be quick about getting out because you don't want to be losing while the markets are are going higher. I never overstay uh, on the downside uh, when I'm doing something inverse uh, to the inverse along. Uh, so that's it. It just was a pair of trade. We expected outperformance in Berkshire. We got it. Uh, the XLF. Uh, acted very poorly. It's bouncing today right into the declining short term moving averages. This might be all you get for the bounce. Um, we've got a stop set uh, to, on the remaining half of the FAZ trade to where we'll lose no more than uh, 1% on it. And um, it's around that area right now. But if it breaks above, the XLF breaks above today's high, we'll be out of that.
0: Okay. So the net effect of this pairs trade is you had a gain. Yes. Well, I mean, assuming yes. we unwind it for uh, no more than a 1% loss. Okay. All right. Got it. Now, the... Uh Folks, if like I said, if you want to see that video, uh, just uh, email me and I'll send it to you. And by the way, speaking of our videos, we do this. We do, Don does a video every night the, day, the, the, the a day that the market is open, a little short 10-minute video. He goes over the short-term, long-term, mid-term state of the markets, whether the markets are showing bullish or bearish. And then we also talk about what we're doing in-house in our own portfolios. I and mean, we'd show you what we're doing we probably the most transparent advisor that I can think of uh, that actually kind of walks you through. I mean, we don't tell you 100% everything we're doing, but quite a bit of it. And by the way, when you become a client, it really comes alive because now you see it in your portfolio in real time with what we're talking about on the nightly videos. But anyway, this, this podcast will come in your inbox Saturday morning. But if you go to YouTube and just type in Revere Asset and hit subscribe, you'll get this when when we're done and and zach produces and posts it, and it's usually about an hour after the show so we're recording a little bit late today because my daughter congratulations sydney lee stewart she had her last day of high school today and they had an event this morning yeah Woo. so so we'll be finishing up around noon our time and so it'll probably be on youtube by one thirty. So it even before the close. So if you really, if you're a stock nerd, and you need your fix quick, go to uh, Revere Asset on YouTube and hit subscribe. Otherwise, just you can go to our website up in the top right ho- corner. There's a subscribe button, and then you can go from there and 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 just put in your email and your address, and we'll we won't spam you. Reach it's up to you to reach out to us if you. And next to that is a contact button, and you can actually reach out to us. It'll send an email to me, and then and then you can ask a question or a complimentary portfolio of you or a topic you wanted to talk about on the show. Okay. Um, all right. So let's get, now before we get dive deep in the markets, I want to make a point about this this banking. Okay. Again, I'm not trying to de- beat a dead horse, but this is the biggest risk in the markets right now. Okay. I just bought. I, so we've got. Uh, A a few clients that want to do fixed income, they've got a portion of their money that's carved out that's just super, super safe money. They don't want to have it risk hardly at all. And then I run a fixed portfolio for them. And I do right now because of the way the market, the yield curve for various reasons. And by the way, bonds are actually as more complicated, as complicated as stocks. You just, once you get them in place and you get the bond, you don't have to manage that position nearly as much like stocks. But getting it right and getting the, posi- the portfolio in position is actually uh, very complicated. But, but the point is, right now, because of the yield curve, you want to go shorter in the yield curve and you want to go to T-bills and now CDs. So T-bills were paying four and a half to five. Now they're paying, you know, 4.8 to 5.2 for real short-term. And CDs are now paying five. Why? Because they have to. Just a few months ago, they were paying two and a half, three, and they were begrudgingly doing so. But they had to because they were losing deposits. Because if you've got thirty thousand dollars of your emergency money in the savings alone, and they're only paying you one percent, and you can get five. You see, they're not a brokerage firm. There, a lot of these places aren't set up to do a, a brokerage account where you can do. You know, Schwab is a bank and a Brokerage account. I mean, you can have, you can set it up so you can have both. So you could, with your idle cash, you can do T-bills. I'm not, this is not an advertisement for Schwab. I'm just saying a lot of these places can do that. Okay. If your bank can't do it, they can't do it. So they got to do it with CDs. So now they got to offer you, they got to pay you more and they're receiving less. That's the problem. Until this gets corrected, it's freezing up the private sector. People don't want investment-grade bonds. They don't want high-yield bonds, and they don't even want dividend stocks. If you can get something that's paying you 5%, theoretically risk-free for a couple months, and you just roll it forward. So this inverted yield curve, is this is the Frankenstein the Fed has created, and now they're trying to figure out how to, how to, how to still kill inflation without killing the banks, but give enough room for the banks to make a profit, but not let inflation run rampant. So it's how are they going to reverse course and start stimulating? That is going to be the tight walk, the, the high wire that they've got to walk. And that's the Hobson's choice that I've been talking about for a long time, that this is going to come to fruition. And now it's finally starting to come to a head. And how they handle it is going to be interesting. But there's going to be a lots of opportunities. I'm not trying to sound like a Debbie Downer. I just don't think those opportunities are going to be in regional banking or commercial real estate at least on the long side. All right, I've, done, I've, I've beat that enough. Let's go to um, um, Don. And Don, you, you take it away with the Revere team and, and talk about the markets and what we're actually doing right now.
1: Dan, are you just going to let Cinco de Mayo pass without without any comment? You you big bad Texan so close. Oh, to, uh,
0: Cinco de Mayo. Hey, well, that's what CD's Sydney's at her school. They're doing Mayfest. It's May 5th. It's called Mayfest. That's the gringo version of Cinco de Mayo. They call it Mayfest. <laughs> Mayfest. They, they don't call it the 5th of May. They call it Mayfest. But anyway, so that's, that's the gringo version. Um, anyway, they're having a party at the... I don't even know why they had the last day. They're not doing a damn thing. All they're doing is running around. She's got a little Baylor skirt on. I mean, it's anyway. But uh, yeah, you're right, Don. It is Cinco de Mayo. But but the big yeah, fiesta I'm going The big fiesta was last week in San Antonio, baby. That's mm. that's the big that's a whole week. That's not just a day.
1: And and you can't just but that doesn't that doesn't get uh that only gets played in San Antonio and on our podcast apparently because everybody <laughs> knows what Cinco de Mayo is. Oh, there
0: there's li- I'll tell you what it actually is a fairly big event in t- cuz there's lots of people from Houston and Dallas that go down for it in Austin It's a pretty big, it's a pretty big deal here, but you're right. It's not like Mardi Gras where everybody knows about it. Right. But anyway.
1: All right. Let's flip to the markets. So uh, let's go back to last week uh, on the 25th and the 26th, which was on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. The markets looked like they were getting ready to fall apart. And uh, then the 27th, we gapped up. Uh, as uh, Facebook reported a a very good, Facebook Meta reported very good earnings in the market. Uh, At that point, that was just a failed breakdown. We we reclaimed the 21 day moving average and we went on a little two and a half day rally that promptly rolled over on May 2nd uh, of this week and that corresponded again with uh, the uh, regional banking weakness Uh, coming to the fore uh, and that lasted about two and a half days also mixed in there we had coming into the week we thought we had three big events right we had uh, the fed on wednesday and the reaction to that wednesday afternoon and thursday we had apple earnings apple uh, the biggest percentage uh, leader in the s p 500 and the nasdaq 100 so we're very concerned about the reaction to their earnings and uh, then the jobs report this morning uh, we didn't know coming into the week we were going to have to also factor in uh, a, another uh, regional banking crisis but it is what it is we always have a plan for every morning coming into the day whether we're dealing with a flat market or an up market or a down market so we saw the dark, down market tuesday and wednesday follow through to the downside on thursday based on the mixed messages that came from powell basically they <laughs> they said you know they're not you know, planning on further liquidity, but they're gonna be determining whether or not they have to, uh, or not liquidity, uh, rate cuts or rate raises. They're gonna be using the data to determine whether or not they have to be. But at the same time, he also said, uh, somebody asked him in the press conference about the market pricing in rate cuts later in the year. He said, we have absolutely no plan for rate cuts. And then he made comments about inflation being very stubborn and it's not coming down as fast as they thought it would. So the market sold off into the closed on Wednesday, followed through to the downside uh, on Thursday. Thursday afternoon, we started to recover a little bit. Uh, and then Apple reported after the closed Thursday, uh, everybody was thinking that Apple was going to uh, be suffering because we've had widespread uh, reports of slow PC shipments and people not upgrading their phones, but Apple beat on revenues. They beat on uh, earnings per share. They increased their buyback. They increased their dividend. And the result is right now, Apple is up uh, 4.5% on the day. Uh, Apple such a big waiting for the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 that that gap, uh, the index is up and they're following through to the upside today. Uh, And that's in the face of the last shoe that we were worried about dropping uh, was employment data before the open. And the employment data was stronger than expected. In other words, more jobs created uh, than were expected. Uh, Average hourly earnings was higher than expected. They did drop the last two months of readings, so maybe that somewhat offset uh, the gains reported this month and uh, initially the market sold off just a little bit but now like i said we're near the highs of the day so it's shrugging off what's considered a strong jobs report uh back above the uh, 21 day moving average uh, on the nasdaq 100 and the s p 500 let's take a look at the dow very quickly Uh, it's also benefiting up 1.2 percent sitting right on its 21 day moving average so now that the problem, the two remaining problems are the weakness in mid caps and small caps. And this is uh, really due to the banking crisis. Banks are bouncing today, as I mentioned before, when we talked about uh, that XLF Berkshire FAZ pairs trade, uh, they're bouncing right into declining moving averages. So they've got some work to do. The outlook for the banking sector is going to uh, play a key role in that. The the strangest thing was that no sooner had Jay Powell came out and said the banking system is strong and resilient in their statement at mm-hmm. two o'clock on Wednesday, than two hours later, one of the banks was down 50% saying they have to evaluate strategic alternatives. Uh, and then the next day, as yesterday, we had three banks down more than 30%. So, uh, you know, there, there's headwinds. We're through the most part earning season. For the most part, there's been some landmines, but there's been some gold mines too. We've got some leading stocks setting up, breaking out, gapping up, holding their gaps, uh, not just automatically reversing and selling off. And that's important because it goes to the speculative nature uh, of the market. That's the pond we fish in, we're watching all of them. We've got uh, gap rules for handling them, depending on what the sales growth was, what the volume was uh and uh, what percentage gap it is and where it is in its overall pattern but uh the the biggest headwind right now uh is uh the banking situation and how that's impacting mid caps and small caps and you know we're, we don't predict we we got oversold to the downside if it comes back again we may put that exact same trade on we still have a little bit of it uh holding right here but that's really what happened in the markets over the last uh, week and a couple of days. It's been very volatile, uh, but the downside volatility was countered with bounces and we're not quite, we haven't recovered everything uh, that we lost yet. Um, we're not back to uh, the highs of last Friday and Monday. That's the next- You're talking about the markets, the markets. The market has not overcome, yeah, the highs that we made last Friday uh, and Monday. In fact, 41.32, on the S&P was where the markets are before Powell, uh, the statement came out. So that's uh, that's what we're calling the, Fed, the FOMC pivot point right now is 41.32, we got as high as 41.26 today. Uh, so we're keeping an eye on that level and um, to see how things ultimately play out. But uh, the negativity of the last two days uh, versus Powell and versus the banking crisis is being shaken off today very similar to the way it was shaken off last week. Uh, And uh, we never predict, we don't know what's going to happen. Like I said, we've got a plan for an up market, a down market and a flat market every day that we come in, including all the positions that we hold, where we would want to add to them or get stopped out on them. Uh, And we let the market tell us what to do. There's there's a lot of people calling for doomsday recession there's a lot of people saying there may be no recession at all. Those are opinions, they don't matter. What matters is the price and volume action uh, in the markets, the sectors, and the individual stocks. So that's what we're watching closely.
0: Hey, let me ask let me jump in real quick. So the one thing that's kind of funny is, and I noticed that because the jobs report was actually strong. I mean, forget about whether yep. they manipulate it or not. Let's just take the number at its face value. Uh, uh, the number came in very strong, which would give the Fed excuse to, to stay hawkish and keep rates up or even raise again, because that's, you know, good job creation is is inflationary. But guess what? Good news is good news again, because everybody was, more, more people were switching. Just a couple of weeks ago, a lot of people were thinking, this this recession, it's, we may miss the recession, or it may be a very shallow recession. Just in the last couple of weeks, more and more people, because of the deteriorating banking said oh it looks like we're coming in for a hard landing and the wheels are going to come off it's getting uglier. So now people are more worried and becoming more bearish so that good news actually gave the market some hope it actually they liked it versus it giving the fed uh, a reason to raise rates. So that's why you can't you can't always that's why we talked about earlier your convictions. You can't rely on your convictions because what you think normally should happen or should happen just the opposite may happen. You don't know. So what is the plan if the opposite happens? You take a position, something's setting up, and then it changes. What are you going to do? That's that's kind of what we talk about on all our podcasts. All right, Don, go ahead. Sorry.
1: So right now, uh, for the next Fed meeting in mid-June, the probabilities of no raise is at 92%. The probability of a 25-point uh, is at uh eight percent so uh we monitor this all the time this is the markets determining what should be done and what shouldn't be done and not a single time over the last year when uh they've raised 500 basis points has powell gone against what these target rate probabilities were going into the meeting so that is where that's going to be a very interesting uh set up if the markets continue to say we need to have rate cuts at the end of the year we get to the end of the year uh and powell diverges from that i have a feeling with he made one mistake very big in 2018 uh in december uh when he didn't he came out with with talk contrary to what the market was expecting the market had a a very quick uh adverse reaction we dropped, we <laughs> dro- yeah we dropped we dropped 20 percent, and he hasn't roiled the markets in a major way since then um and uh, we'll see we'll see what comes out as of right now uh 92 chance of no hike at the next meeting and then there are is a increased chance of hike as you go through the rest of the year but that's contrary to what he's saying and uh, we'd we'll, we'll let it play out. When, again, we don't predict either way. We'll watch the way the market responds and react accordingly.
0: And, and again, the markets drop 20%, not Revere. just want to clarify.
1: Yes. So, uh, Dan, you have another mailbag from Michael? Is that right? Restaurant related?
0: Uh, no. Nah, or did, not, that, or did Mike? Oh, Mike. Yeah, got so that I, got, I got it yeah. in my email. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We no, uh, I don't got
2: those directly. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, he's got, I don't have that um, in front of me. Michael's got it.
2: Okay. Oh uh, yeah. I maybe wait, yeah, it was just, Um, it was just to, to Connor, Ted and I from, uh from Mark, Mark's. Uh, or, yeah. 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 No names,
1: no name. names, no names. Yeah.
0: But it, it's actually uh, um, some research from, from somebody that works in the restaurant industry and they they produce a report all the time. Is that the one you're talking about? Gotcha.
2: Um, yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. What is the, what is the takeaway? I don't, that's a very detailed, very specific data-driven report. What is the takeaway? Is the restaurant sector, uh, getting stronger, or weaker? What's the, what was kind of the takeaway?
2: Well, the, the question was, um, it, it was about restaurants, um, sort of what our, what our favorite names are and, um, our, our thoughts on the sector. Um, oh, oh, that's different. So, okay, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah.
0: That's a different thing yeah, than yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. Okay. And, and yeah, what are your favorite names in the sector, Michael?
2: Yeah. So I, um, so if you, if you pull up the, uh, the, the restaurant, it's, it's been one of the strongest groups and, uh, within that we we've had some, uh, some great, uh, reactions to earnings that, um, that has been a uh, pretty uncommon so far in, in the market in terms of, uh, gaps that are, that are holding and, um, performing well. And the first one, um, is, is Chipotle ticker CMG. And um, Chipotle has been an, an outperformer for a long time. Um, it's been it's been a leader in the the restaurant group for years, uh, about a decade. Um, and what's amazing about Chipotle is that they just continue firing on all cylinders. Um, they have a sixteen percent three year revenue growth rate and a twenty nine point six percent uh, three year earnings. Growth. Rate. so continue growing expanding and doing so very profitably um, they've beaten consensus earnings estimates eight of the past nine quarters and they reported positive same source st- same store sales in 24 of the past 25 periods so that's that yeah that that's a monster um, company and the stock is is um, showing that and and they're just um, yeah uh, amazing amazing uh, growth story. Um, operating margins for the last quarter was 15.5 percent and that was an increase from 9.4 percent and something new about them is they actually opened their first um chipotle lane store which is a drive-through version of their um location so they opened 41 new restaurants um in the past quarter and their chipotle lane so um maybe they can they can continue expanding now with the um with the drive-throughs and What's interesting about that too, is, is, uh, for a long time now, McDonald's has been a, um, a strategic partner and investor in Chipotle. They kind of helped them out at the beginning. So they, they have a lot of, um, experience and, and, um, can, can get that done pretty efficiently, um, with McDonald's as a, as a partner, um, since McDonald's is, is the, the largest, uh, owner and provider of, of drive through, um, restaurants, so. That that should be pretty exciting, and um, and yeah, they also benefited from lower avocado prices. So <laughs> that, uh, that that's something good too. Um, looks like inflation, because because yeah, avocado prices were actually increasing oh yeah, a lot. No. Um, they they were getting hit pretty hard with inflation, but um, yep. seems to be abating. So that that's a that's a nice tailwind as well. Um, I, I'll tell you one sec-
0: thing about Chipotle, Mike. That I lo- I mean, yep. the quality of their food is exceptional. They really have good food. And by the way, if McDonald's and Chipotle are sharing some ideas together, and McDonald's is sharing the drive-through methodology. I hope Chipotle shares some of the food quality methodology with McDonald's. <laughs> uh, just my two cents. Yeah. Anyway,
1: McDonald's Chipotle is a spinoff for McDonald's. They started the original concept and then spun it off.
0: Right. Right.
1: Yeah. Long
2: time ago. Yeah, so yep.
1: um,
2: long. Yeah. Long time ago. Um, so yeah, Chipotle, I mean, McDonald's, um, Don's got that chart up now that that's another standout. I mean, you can't go wrong with McDonald's. They, um, yeah, it, it's very tough to bet against McDonald's and they've opened up now some new, um, fully automated restaurants. So that should, um, obviously increase their operating margins. Cause you've got, uh, less people to pay. Um and and yeah, that that goes along with the AI theme. So McDonald's now getting into AI with fully automated restaurants. Um, you see their stock reacting super well. And then um, look
1: at their look at their pre tax margins forty one and a half percent at McDonald's. That's that's
2: amazing
1: for uh what's really considered the low end on the price cycle for a restaurant.
0: You mean margins? Yeah, their margins? I mean, yeah,
1: pre yeah. Pretax margins, forty-one percent for for. I mean, their retail price, right, of, right, right, of the of their products is on the low side.
2: Yeah, McDonald's. Yeah, I mean, they they just um, with with their supply chains and and everything. I mean, they yeah they and, and that's something you want to look for actually when you're when you're looking at certain stocks in, in in um, I mean, it's not only specific to to restaurants, but just in general. You want to look for companies with the strongest margins because it shows that they've got a, a competitive advantage and something else to look for is uh, like either return on equity or return on capital and you can see um that that's a good um measure of their competitive advantage so um, when you're picking between two stocks that that have a uh, similar metrics if one's just got way better margins that's that's the leader and that's that's um probably i mean there there could be certain things you need to dig a little deeper but just on a surface level looking at it comparing them that that's a good tool to use as a as a comparison and then um the last one in the group i want to talk about is Wingstop, and um wing is actually the um they are growing the fastest in the restaurant group they're, they're the leader in terms of uh revenue growth uh with 21 percent three-year revenue growth rate and a, a three-year earnings growth rate of 27.6 percent um if you look at wing their gross margins are improving 19 consecutive uh years of same store sales growth and they opened uh, 200 new stores last year so what you can see about wing stop too if you little dig a little deeper and and, and look at the fundamentals uh The the capital expenditure required the capital expenditures required, which goes into their margins, uh, for expansion is, is relatively low. Um, and it's largely incumbent now on their franchisees. So, so their business model is actually really profitable to Wingstop. And, um, as a percentage of, um, of royalties and advertising funds generated from, from their locations, ad spend now that they, um, that they're growing this economy of scale, it should start to taper, and that'll also um uh significantly um impact their their bottom line positively and um can continue they can continue growing their sales so um that it had a nice breakout it's pulled out pulled back, but it's still above that breakout level and um that that's a name to um to definitely um be watching because they are yeah they they've just been executing extremely well on their strategy um so, so that's, yeah, that, and, and Dan, I actually had a question going back on before what you were talking about with the, um, with the CDs and interest rates. Um, so I had a, I had a friend's, um, a friend's dad ask me about CDs and he had, um, he was getting a great rate, uh, at some pretty, I won't say the bank specifically, but, but a smaller one. And that's why they're offering a more competitive rate on their CDs and i know that cds are um fdi fdic insured the same way that deposits are right but in terms of if something were to happen at the bank and um they weren't able to repay those cds or or, um they had to um if if, if, yeah if yeah there, there were issues at the bank would would those cds still um be be redeemed at par, or would they actually lose value? Even even though your your capital's protected, so the, FDIC, FDI, the way you, that FDIC.
0: So the way that FDIC insurance works is if a. So first of all, the regulators are very. They're supposed to be Johnny on the spot. Although, well, whatever. Um, if a bank is getting in trouble, there's they're highly regulated. If the bank's getting in trouble, they're supposed to kind of force a merger buyout with uh jp morgan just buying uh was it first republic that was kind of you know the fed took over some of the junk on their balance sheet the stuff that no because nobody was going to bid for them they were going to just go and solve it and the fdic was going to have to take them in receivership they didn't want to say that because then they would quote have to technically call that a default and insolvent. And so they can they took on a little bit of some of the th- and then brokered a deal with with JP Morgan and JP Morgan bought them. So now they don't really have to call it a default, which eh, okay, fine. But if so say when, say that a a, a bank did go under and your account was three hundred thousand dollars or the, the FDIC limits, right? You're up to the FDIC limit. If that CD, if the if you only got eighty thousand dollars back of your hundred thousand dollar CD, they would FDIC would make up the difference. They would make up the the twenty thousand, okay. Um, like with FDI, FDI, SIPC insurance of the securities, they'd have some other broker take over from the defaulted broker. And so, if you had a hundred shares of Apple, and when it transferred over, in this case, J.P. Morgan, right? Or, or some big player that took you over, if only 80 shares of your Apple, 100 shares transferred over, they would make uh, make you whole and they would make up 20 Apple shares. So it really depends. But here is the thing that, that some people don't realize. And so CDs at the, at the savings and loans and the regional banks, those are CDs at that bank. And they're not brokerage CDs that you can actually actively trade and buy and sell and whatever, right? And they, they don't really fluctuate hardly in, any, in price, but, but that's normally that CD from that bank. And so that account is covered. If you have an account at Schwab, Schwab, we've got a very clever way where I can actually go buy five different CDs. Say you've got a million-dollar account. I can buy 10 $100,000 CDs from 10 different banks where each bank offers that the FDIC insurance comes from that issuing bank. So I could actually get them covered by buying different CDs from various banks. And, make, and I call the, the, the floor, de, the bond trading desk, and explain what I'm talking about. And I want to get everything, um, I want to get the entire account covered. So that's one kind of clever way that you can do that. But yes, an, a CD, as long as the bank is FDIC insured, it's an FDIC, then that CD is an FDIC insured CD.
2: Yeah, but 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 what I'm wondering is is specifically um it, let, let's say let's say you buy you buy a CD that pays five percent from from whatever bank, and the the bond I don't think they pay the interest. I don't
0: think they pay. I, I don't. I have to check that. I think they cover your principal. Yeah. They don't pay any growth or potential growth. They cover the difference that you lost. Okay, so if you've got if your yeah, accounts no, yeah. were two hundred thousand dollars and now you've only got 120, and all of those assets were FDIC-insured assets. That's, see, that's one thing that gets a little tricky. So like in a brokerage account with SIPC, some securities are, would, would count, and not, not all of them count. And that's why you got to be careful. And, and with the FDIC, yes, that the, it, they make up the difference or the shortfall in the account of the FDIC-insured assets. Okay, So they make they make you whole on your face value or they make you mm-hmm. you, you see what I'm saying? But they're not going to pay you. I don't think they pay you the interest. Is that the question?
2: Yeah, no. Well, Well. no, I I know they wouldn't pay you the interest, but I'm just wondering, like, I'm, I'm not sure how they're priced. But if it was, a, let's say, a premium bond and you have bought it at a certain value and you're earning your coupon would then the 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 face value of the bond declined significantly. Well, if a bond's that, not FDI. Hang on. Like you're, exactly. you're, that's
0: why it gets complicated. If you're buying an investment grade corporate bond, that would be in a brokerage account. That's SIPC insurance, not FDI. The only thing that's FDIC insurance is cash and cash equivalents, CDs. There's certain definable cash and cash equivalents that are considered for FDIC insurance. SIPC is broader. It's It's more for a brokerage account. So if they, so if you have $200,000 of FDIC insured assets in one account, so that's under the FDIC limit. And when you went in default, the bank, and they got moved over, because what they'll do is they'll shift you over to another bank. They move the deposits to some other entity. Okay. And it could be even receivership with the government. Then at that point, they transfer whatever's, you know, because the, the company that went bank, or that can't pay their bills, that went insolvent, they, they're not completely zero. They may have 60 cents on the dollar or 70 cents on the dollar. They've got some amount of assets. So once the dust all settles, if your FDIC $200,000 account is only 180, they make up the $20,000 difference, the face value. Remember, these are cash equivalents. These are not corporate bonds. They're not, they're only cash equivalents for FDIC.
2: Okay, yeah, that makes sense.
0: Okay. With SIPC, it's a lot trickier because you got to figure out what, the, what they are. So anyway, this whole banking, we're not, we're not done with this at all. And by the way, here's the double whammy, folks. Commercial real estate now has all these, they borrowed a bunch of money at historically low rates at four or five, 6%, thinking that when we came out of COVID, everybody goes back to work, everybody's fine. A lot of people are working remotely now. They are doing a hybrid, right? So the demand for office space has gone down. It didn't return like it did. Number two, they've got to roll over all this debt that is, was it four five, 6%? And now it's at 12 or 13 Commer- the defaults on commercial property, the default rates are going up considerably. Guess what? The biggest asset is on regional banks' balance sheets. You got it. Commercial loans. Commercial loans. With the big banks, it's you've got commercial loans, but you also got mortgages. You got other stuff. Uh, so it's different. You've got a different mix. They're not so, like, and I I can't remember the percentage, so don't quote me. I read an article last week, but the regional banks basically, I think it's something like 48% or, it's in the 40s, 40-something percent of their assets on their balance sheet are commercial loans on commercial property. And we're about to hit a brick wall on commercial property. So it's not just the inverted yield curve where they got to pay their depositors too much, their balance sheet is about to take a big hit too. That's why, they're, that's why this is not over. Okay, that's why you really got, and that's why this is probably going to be a bifurcated market. This isn't going to be, I don't, I mean, I could be wrong. That's why we follow the charts. I don't think it's going to be an indexing market where you can just ride the indexes and be okay. Now I think it's going to be more of a stock pickers market or a sector market where you've got to, you know, go and invest in a few sectors and definitely avoid some other sectors. But anyway, with that, I'll go back to Don and ask for, Don, any thoughts or any wrap-ups or anything you else?
1: Could be, well, you could, you could, if there are a couple of sectors that are weak, like the financials, where you can be long the indexes and short the weak or strong sectors exa- within well, that overall right. index.
0: Or you could go long a sector and short another sector. That's, exa- that's what, that's right. sort of, actually that pairs trade was kind of a hybrid of that, actually, because Berkshire Hathaway is kind of a pseudo-financial. So a pairs trade normally is like you buy AMD, you buy NVIDIA and short AMD or short, you know, AMD is actually not that bad right now, but you short a weak uh, 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 stock in the same sector. So a pairs trade generally means the same sector or, you know, fairly well correlated. You're trying to make a difference on the spread. In this case, Berkshire Hathaway had some financial exposure, but had some other exposure and then we were trying to short the financials. So that's a way to play it with a lot less risk because no matter which way the market moves you're you're partially hedged. That's kind of a hard concept to think about, but it actually and going forward if things start to get ugly in certain sectors, we may be short some sectors, long others. If it gets really ugly and everything starts to go then we just we get out of the way, move to cash or maybe short. So, anyway, all right, Don, what what anything else?
1: Nope, that's it. That's a wrap for the week. Check out the updated 21 over 21 list Friday night.
0: Yeah, and, folks, listen, uh, go sign up, go sign up for uh, 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 on our on our, our subscribe page on our website. And if you subscribe and, and you'll get Don's um, big show, he does the big show every Friday night. And that's a 21 over 21 leading stocks, 21 exponential moving average. And that's his kind of recap of the week. You really want, want to try to watch them every day. But look, I know your lives are busy and you got family and stuff. But if, if you can't watch all of them. Make sure you catch Fridays because that's a little generally a little bit longer and it's a little bit more of a recap. Because he, you know, Monday, you just got Monday. He already kind of did the recap for the previous week. So it's maybe not quite as in depth, but with Friday, you got the whole week to. to go off of and you can kind of look at and seeing where you are heading into next week. Folks, listen, if you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor, just send them to revereasset.com. Up in the top right-hand corner, there's a subscribe button. They can put their name and email address in. And like I said, they'll get this podcast in their inbox and they'll get our daily market insight videos and we won't hassle them or, or do anything. It's up to them to reach out to us. We're not, we're not going to browbeat them. And they can talk to us. They can get a complimentary portfolio review. Or they can just ask about a stock or a topic they'd like discussed on the show. Um, you can email uh, me at dan at revereasset.com, don at revereasset.com, or ted, connor, or michael at revereasset.com. And you can always call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. Folks, have a happy and safe weekend. And we'll talk to you next week on your money.
1: Because it's not how much you make in the markets, it's how much of that you can keep.